Hi there. Welcome to Totally Fantastic Title. I'm Krista Wallace. When Words Collide was last weekend, it was lovely to see some familiar names in those virtual panels. Paul, Laura, Brenda. When I'm a panelist, I have Zoom on speaker view, so I can't see all the people in the room. So if I missed you, I apologize. I am exhausted after the weekend, but I felt good about my panels and I learned lots from other ones. I'm really glad it's over, though. I feel like I've been gearing up for it for weeks and weeks, and now I have to recover. I especially enjoyed the panel about letting your characters tell the story and the one on character motivation. Those were really good discussions, and I think the listeners thought so too. Speaking of listeners, I was listening to Q on CBC Radio the other morning, and Ali Hassan interviewed Brian May, who, for those of you living under a rock, is the lead guitarist of Queen. He's one of the most respected, unique, and iconic guitarists of all time. He's also an astrophysicist, so, you know, can you say underachiever? He put out a solo album in 1992, shortly after Freddie Mercury's death, called Back to the Light. And he's recently remastered it and re-released it. And they played the title track after the interview, and, well, I bought it, so I'm looking forward to listening to that. We were camping at Alice Lake one time, and uh, the girl's friend, we'll say Cressida, had come with us. We were hiking the Four Lakes Trail, and I had my small backpack with the bag of hiking needs, you know, the trail mix, the water, my copy of Trees and Plants of Coastal British Columbia, stuff like that. Somehow we got onto um, having useful things in our pockets, too. I don't remember what all there was, but each of us had something that might be construed as being useful on a hike. So like somebody had a Swiss army knife, which is obviously useful. I probably had lip balm, clear purpose there. Uh, Somebody had a paper clip, you know, excellent for holding samples of leaves or in a pinch, hanging something off your backpack, that sort of thing. And then Cressida says, I have a guitar pick. And we all laughed and and we tried coming up with creative uses for a guitar pick on a hike. (laughs) And then we rounded a corner and who should be coming toward us but a young couple, one of whom was playing a ukulele. (laughs) And, And Cressida said, hey, do you need a guitar pick? And the fellow said, sure. And that was how, out of all the useful things we had with us in our pockets on our hike, the guitar pick was the only one that was actually used. You may recall, last week, Griffin had her first gig with the spurious correlations and it sizzled, particularly between sets in the kitchen when she and Matteo had their first kiss. Of course, Phoenix also took her painstakingly created fancy dessert home for his toddler's birthday party, but at least she's been given a couple of days off. Griffin and the Spurious Correlations by Krista Wallace Chapter 9, May 11th 
Though it pained me to be apart from Matteo, I recognized the pathetic nature of this and shoved it aside. In truth, I was relieved to have a couple of days away from the restaurant. I could have benefited from some time at home, but I really did need to make an appearance at the music store, and I had four lessons to teach on Saturday. So although I was exhausted from lack of sleep and the expending of more energy than I typically did in a week, I went to my music store job on Friday. Brian was serving a customer when I walked in. He did a double take, then finished ringing up the book of piano music and said goodbye. Well, hello, stranger. You haven't worked here for days, apart from teaching. You sort of indicated I could back off on my hours if I took on the extra teaching. And to be honest, it's been, I don't really mind. This week it has been quiet. Lessons going well? His words sounded clipped, stilted. Yeah, apart from being a bit late yesterday, and that kid's, that was yesterday? I don't even recall that. I didn't notice. My mouth opened and shut again before I could say, Oh, I decided not to go into it. Colin's students are nice kids. Devinder has really good tone. A customer stepped up to ask Brian a question, so I went and hung up my jacket. I saw there was a shipment of music, so I opened up a box and started sorting. Brian's conversation with the customer went on in the background. Yes, we can do that, said Brian. I can order it for you. It will take a week. Brian was definitely speaking oddly. He didn't sound like himself. That would be super, she replied. It is no problem to wait. She will be happy. That's so exciting. Anything else you need here? How about guitar picks? No, that will be all. I guess I'll hear from you soon. I'll call when it's in. She left, and I approached the front counter. Uh, Brian, I think. Yes, Griffin, what's going on? I nodded. I figured it out. You figured out what? Let me guess. You now know who wrote the Book of Love? I stared at him to see if his eyes were swirling. Had he been hypnotized? No, because the customer had been caught in it, too. I only wish. No, it's that you and that lady spoke all in haiku. Brian laughed. Ha! Look who's talking. You're doing it too, Griffin. Horrified, I thought back to what I'd said and counted the syllables. Everything we had said could be divided into smaller sections of five, seven, then five syllables. Oh, damn it. You're right. Matilda, the flute teacher, came in. Hey, Brian. Griffin. Haven't seen you in a while. Where you been hanging? I backed away warily. Perhaps if I stayed far enough away, I wouldn't get caught too deeply. This is outrageous. I thought things were weird enough. This was my safe zone. Safe zone? Matilda asked. Safe from what? What's she talking about, Bry? I don't understand. You just called him Bry, I cried, hands jumping up to my cheeks. You have never called him that. This can't just be me. Can't I call him that? What's wrong with calling him Bry? Is there something wrong? Generally nothing, but you only shortened it to make a haiku. She's going nutty, Matilda said to Brian. I think she's under a great deal of stress lately. I nodded. I believe you're right. Maybe I should go home now. That sounds like a plan, Brian finished for me. Stop it! Say nothing! Wait until I've left the store. Call me when you've stopped. I went for a coffee. I made a conscious effort to use more than the allotted number of syllables when I ordered. Just a small coffee, please. There. Six syllables, not five or seven. The barista looked at me funny because I seemed to be studying my own words, which I was. But never mind. I had evidently broken the cycle. I sat at a little table by the window and pulled out my cell phone. 
I stared at it. Afraid of aggravating the irate people who had usurped Calvin's cell number, I texted him. I am so sorry. I have been trying to call you, but my phone is acting weird and giving me a wrong number. If you get this, I have time to talk right now. I drank coffee and watched people park their cars crookedly in stalls, watched them back out without looking and narrowly miss hitting other drivers. My phone pinged and my belly jumped as if the message had been sent via trebuchet. It was the right number, but had some weird name made of numbers and symbols. Also, the message itself was a dick pic with a clown nose on the tip. I know you don't know Calvin, so let me assure you that there was no way in hell that Calvin had sent me that. I hastily deleted it. A split second later, it rang. It said it was Calvin. I tried to sound as apologetic as I felt when I answered. Hey. This is a warning from the CRA. Records show that you owe $1,422 for current or back taxes, and an arrest warrant has been issued. Do not hang up, or the police will come and arrest you. Fuck off, I told the scammer, and hung up. Nerves like a squall, I watched a dog owner let her dog poop in the middle of the sidewalk and not clean it up. I was appalled. I banged on the window at her, and when she looked at me, I gave her a stern frown and pointed down at the sidewalk. She glared at me as if to say, What the hell do you want, weirdo? To my horror and dismay, she barged into the coffee shop, dog in tow. What is your problem? Her dog licked crumbs up off the floor. Nothing, apart from my not wanting to have to watch my step on the sidewalk, dosy doing around your dog's crap. The other patrons of the coffee shop stared at me. The room fell silent. When I say silent, I mean silent, with zero sounds of coffee makers or talking or fans, nothing. There was a dearth of ambient noise. Was I in a vacuum? The woman's voice was like a razor cutting through the silence with a hiss. I have never, never, you understand me, let my dog have a bowel movement on a sidewalk. You with your coffee and your cell phone and your hair. My hair? are a disgrace. My face burned and my innards wanted to purge. Look, I don't know what you have against people with coffee and cell phones and <clears throat> hair, but I would sure appreciate it if you would clean up after your dog. Her dog barked and vomited all over the cafe floor. Jeez, I said, sinking onto the stool. I looked around at the people in the coffee shop and the ambient noise returned. The woman and her dog vanished along with the vomit. I took a chance and checked out the dog's poop. In yet another of a series of situations that were becoming less and less surprising to me, the poop revealed itself to be no longer poop, but a chalk drawing of St. Basil's Cathedral in Red Square. I closed my eyes and tried to remember my own name. Pulling out my cell, which mere moments ago had been so offensive, I took a risk and called my sister. I had never been so thankful to hear her voice at the other end. I invited her to join me for lunch after the lessons I had to teach the next day. She was delighted. Her tone sounded pinched, almost like she was holding back from crying. I asked her about it. Oh, nothing. No, not at all, Griff. The tone was gone and she sounded like herself again. I chalked it up to more of the same kind of madness I had just experienced with a dog. See you tomorrow at noon. Taking a chance, I went back to the store afterward. The truth was I didn't feel like going home and being alone, nor did I want to stare at the phone trying to make myself phone Calvin again, later. I stuck my head in the door of the store. Brian was pulling stuff out of the very box I had started to work on earlier. He turned his head and saw me. 
Hey, Griffin, how's it going? We haven't seen much of you. He looked happy to see me. Moreover, it was as if it was the first time he'd seen me today. I waited just a moment longer to make sure he added more than three syllables. Are you coming in or what? I couldn't put off the phone call until later any longer. I had made it home. I'd made myself a half-decent supper of bacon and eggs with baked beans and a salad. I washed and dried the dishes and even showered. I racked my brain but could not come up with a single other thing to do to put off calling Calvin. The one thing I hadn't tried was actually punching in his phone number and bypassing the auto-dial. Sweat soaked my armpits as I pressed the numbers. I paced as I listened to it ring, and my mind raced, half hoping I would get his voicemail. My heart nearly stopped when I heard the click. Hello? It was actually him. No sound came out of my mouth. I cleared my throat. Hey, Calvin, it's me. Pause. It's alive, he said in his best impression of Dr. Frankenstein. I chuckled, not allowing myself to be at ease. Not yet. I'm so sorry it's taken me so long. I've been, like, ridiculously busy. Yeah? I honestly tried to call you back when I finally had time. For some reason, I kept getting wrong numbers, even when I used the programmed buttons. Yeah? Yeah, and then... It occurred to me that I sounded like I was trying too hard, so I stopped. Calvin said... I've been sort of worried because you hadn't called since the event. You okay? Um, yeah, I'm okay. I guess I took it pretty hard. I cringed at my exaggeration and felt unworthy of his friendship. How are the others? They're good. Everybody wants to know when we're going to rehearse again. The other night wasn't really a rehearsal. We just jammed. We need to talk about what we're going to do about the band. Oh no, I paced rapidly around my living room. I knew I'd have to answer to this at some point, yet all the lead time hadn't helped me formulate a response. I, well, I don't know. Come on, Griffin, it wasn't that big of a deal. It was one gig, and you know what? We were bloody good when all is said and done. My frustration and anger from that evening came flooding back in an instant. I don't know how you can say it wasn't that big of a deal. It was the biggest wedding of the year. He snorted. In some circles, maybe, but who cares? Snifter is one guy, and he doesn't have as much pull in the city as he thinks. Besides, nobody out in the suburbs cares about him. There are plenty of gigs out there. He meant in the world, not just out in the suburbs. This level of understanding is what comes of being close friends for a long time. And anyway, isn't it just about making good music? Great. Now he was using my own words. Yeah, I guess. So, do you want to get together? Stall for time. Um, yeah, maybe, but can we wait a bit longer? I heard him sigh, even though he was trying to cover it up. To be honest, I don't know what we're waiting for, but whatever. Are you still in to help me at Teresa's wedding? Yes, yes, absolutely. I hustled to the calendar. It's next Saturday, eh, in Victoria? Yeah, the ceremony starts at 3.30, so we'll play around 10 to 4. I'm catching the 7 o'clock ferry on Friday night, so do you want to come with me? I'm crashing at my cousin's, and you could too. We can order pizza and have some laughs. It'll be fun. How sad was it that my best friend was trying to convince me that we would have fun? He was right, and I truly wished I could say yes. I pounded my forehead with my fist. Shit. Actually, this is going to be a bit tricky. 
How so? I'm covering some lessons on Saturday morning. Shit, fuck. But wouldn't Brian give you the day? He's pretty understanding. I know, but I only just took it on and I feel bad if I... Then I got a bright idea. Don't worry. If I catch the harbor-to-harbor flight, I can fit everything in. I've always wanted to try that, and it'll be worth it. Are you sure? It sounds tight and expensive. He sounded doubtful, which was reasonable. It shouldn't be a problem. Okay, well, maybe we should get together to go over the song. My gut was churning by this time. The knot twisted a little tighter, but he was right. Yeah, I guess we ought to. Just iron out the wrinkles. Yeah, totally. When would be good? I looked at the calendar. It was packed. How about now? Now it's nine o'clock. Just for a couple hours. I wouldn't go to bed before then anyway. I suppose not. I'll come over. Alarmed, I looked around at my apartment at all the evidence that I was not being completely honest with him. Guitars out, work and rehearsal schedule, set lists, cooking apron and jacket flung across the chair, not to mention the calendar. I could tidy, but no, it was too risky. I'd end up missing something. Nah, I'll come to your place. Are you sure? Yeah, no problem. It was my idea to get together now. I don't want to inconvenience you. Besides, you've been waiting patiently for me. I'll be there in half an hour. Oh, that's great, Griff. I'll make sure there's a cold beer for you. He rang off, and I felt like absolute poo. I knew I should tell him. I wanted to tell him. But it had all happened so fast. He would never believe that I hadn't known Mateo longer than a week. Besides, the whole thing might fall through anyway. Plus, I had set out to find a new lead guitarist for my own band, not to find a new band to play with. How would the guys feel to learn I'd hooked up so instantly with another group, one that was already gigging, and that the new guys didn't want my old mates? I remembered a time an old bandmate told me he'd started playing with another group. I remembered the feeling of betrayal, the thought that we weren't good enough for him. He hadn't said so, of course, but all I could think was, if he loved our band as much as I did, then he'd be getting what he needed and wouldn't need to join another band, especially since he'd sought them out. It wasn't as if they needed someone and recruited him. He had eventually quit us, and I did not want my friends to think that's what this was about. No, I'd wait for things to settle, maybe after I had this big gig behind me. On the other hand, as I had thought before, I knew other people who played in more than one band, and it wasn't a problem at all, so it could work fine. But the longer I took to tell Calvin, the more it would sound like something I didn't want to tell him, and that would cause all kinds of mistrust and awkwardness. In the interest of time, I called a cab, grabbed my acoustic, and thought about all this during the ride to Calvin's. By the time I arrived, I had changed my mind about seven times. This was Calvin Sheely, a guy I'd been friends with since we were six. He'd moved away and come back years later, and it was as if no time had passed. We'd seen each other through the inelegance of puberty, for crying out loud. Who better to talk about it all? He'd understand, and even be just as excited as I was. The sooner I told him, the better. And anyway, I could downplay it. Say this guy was a friend of a friend and had invited me to come jam with them. Save saying it was a full-on gigging band until later. That would soften it a bit. Besides, I might not be able to handle this working two jobs thing. The spurious correlations might fall through. <laughs> yeah, right. He opened the door and handed me a beer before I'd even crossed the threshold. It was really good to see him. Comfortable. We know each other. We trust each other. It was a profound relief from the craziness, the unpredictability. 
We played guitar and sang Gotta Have You, our song for the wedding. Calvin was our, my, drummer, but he was also a more than decent guitarist. We went over the song a few times. We sounded really good, if I do say so. He told me about the procedure for the wedding. Teresa wants us to sing between the vows and the rings, so there'll be a reading and some talking, then the vows, and then us. Cool, I said. We played some more and had some laughs. It was just like always, no awkwardness, as if nothing kooky were going on in my life. Like a holiday, it felt so good I was about to blurt out, I have to tell you what's been going on, when he spoke. So my dad's been assessed. Calvin's face drooped. Where a moment before he'd been smiling, all of a sudden he looked lower than a snake's belly. I didn't say anything, just waited. He's got to go into a care facility. (sighs) He exhaled deeply as if he'd been gearing up to tell me this for days and was profoundly relieved to have let it go. My heart broke and tears filled my eyes. Oh, Cal, I had no idea things were that bad. Neither did I. Calvin's dad had Parkinson's disease, and his particular version was accompanied by dementia. I'd been alongside Calvin watching his dad deteriorate over the last few years. I'd known them almost forever, so I could sincerely share his grief. My mom's just been coping and dealing with it. I don't think she even realized how bad things were. You know when you're in the middle of something and everything's fine and you don't even sense that it's getting harder and harder to deal with it because it's happened so gradually? I nodded even though I didn't really know. I could only imagine. I had no idea he was getting her up like six times a night, having to go to the bathroom or imagining people were breaking into the house or thinking he had to go to work and actually starting to get dressed but putting his pants on backward. He started turning the stove on for no reason. Shit like that. My eyes overflowed and I wiped my cheeks. Oh my God, Cal. And he's so young. The man was older than my own folks, but it had hit him awfully early. Why didn't she tell me? He wasn't angry, just heartbroken. I could have helped her. Oh, Calvin, what could you have done? Stayed at the house with her? You already gave her lots of breaks, taking him for coffee and to movies and stuff when you could. You told me ages ago you'd been encouraging her to get him assessed. He nodded dismally. Don't they have home care and stuff like that? I went on. She ought to have done this a long time ago, but you know what? She wasn't ready, pal. I reached over and touched his knee. She wasn't ready. He gently strummed his guitar. Yeah, I guess. You did what you could. You can't blame yourself. It would still have come to this point eventually. He nodded and sighed again. Have you told the others? I asked. No, I wanted to talk to you. Fuck. Calvin, I'm so sorry. Impulsively, I set my guitar down and went over and put my arms around him. He returned my hug with a kind of urgency. His shoulders shook, and I couldn't dam up my tears. It was awful that this was happening right at the time of Teresa's wedding. The family must be clinging to each other like crazy. He had needed to talk about this. I had made him wait, and I racked my brain for a way to punish myself. We wrapped it up soon after. Obviously, I didn't dump on him further by telling him my news. I gave him another hug as we said goodnight. 
I was so glad I had made this happen, finally, but felt shitty that I had been so unaware. On my ride home, I felt like my heart had been ripped out, spun around three times, and stuck back in again. Ah, poor Calvin. And now, Griffin has to find another way to tell him about the band. Tune in next week when Griffin says, I appreciate all I have. Hey, thought you might like to know that Matt finally got in to see that specialist who screwed up the telephone appointment so badly. Turns out, the guy wasn't nearly as much of a dick as he seemed at that time. Downright personable, I'm told. Still, first impressions matter, dude. If he hadn't had the in-person appointment, Matt would forever report on that doctor as being a dick. If you liked this chapter, drop me a toonie on coffee. That's K-O-F-I. Just search Krista Wallace is a writer. Thank you so much to my family, Matt, David and Heather, and Maggie. Thanks, Phil Dirksen. And thanks so much to you, dear listeners. Now, go be fantastic.